Season 3 has officially begun. This is College Gridiron. We are back again alongside my partner, Nick DeLuca. I'm Jimmy Sullivan. Nick, do you have a good summer? I, I did. I, th- I feel like Eminem right now. It feels so good to be back. <laughs> I, I, I'm ready to go. Really excited for another great year of college football. It's already kicked off. Maybe not the best game in terms of a kickoff, but I'm excited to go regardless, and it should be a fun fall here in college football. Well, we are the center of attention. Of course. And we are back for the winter. So <laughs> there we go. We are like Eminem. But we do have some stuff to get into. You know, usually on this show, we are doing mostly, if not all, preview-related stuff, right? Who's going to win the Heisman? Who's going to go to the playoff? And there's plenty of room for that. But I think for the first time on this show, there were major games last week. Two to be exact, Arizona-Hawaii, okay, and then Miami-Florida was the big one. Florida, the eighth-ranked team in the country. They won 24-20, to some would say in spite of themselves. Miami, pretty good showing in game one of Manny Diaz. Uh, Jarrett Williams might be the quarterback of the future there. Have to see a little bit more from him. But overall, I think you would agree with this, Nick, uh, a fairly sloppy game to start the season. This game was played on August 24th last Saturday. And to be honest with you, in watching it back, I I really think it showed, and I think the teams could have really used an extra week of practice time because that just was not the prettiest game I've ever seen in my life. Well, I think oftentimes in college football you get sloppy starts, right? You see in the NFL you've got four preseason games, and yes, they're working through guys who's going to make the roster, who's going to get cut, but also it's a tune-up opportunity for a lot of the veterans and the players who are coming back and haven't played football in close to six months. So unfortunately for college players, yes, they get spring games and spring practices, but they haven't had that real football experience in about six months. So I think that usually leads to some sloppy play. I wasn't necessarily surprised to see either team come out and be sloppy the way they were, but it's not something that if you're a coach you can take lightly. I think you're not happy that your team is coming out sloppily. So for both Florida and for Miami, this is stuff that they're going to have to address going forward. But to say that it's surprising, I don't think you can say that because you don't have a preseason. This is the first go at it, the first time you're seeing a guy in a in a bad color jersey across from you. So a lot of times that's going to breed mistakes in week one. And you and I are both big fans of this sport obviously so when we see games on week zero and particularly games of this magnitude Miami Florida that's a big game yeah you're pretty happy and I mean the ratings showed that 4.1 overnight that's the highest rated college football game on ESPN since 2016 on ESPN any game not week zero any game like people are hungry for college football so they're going to keep doing this and this is going to keep being a trend the problem is I just don't know. I mean, the quality of play in both the Miami game and the Arizona-Hawaii game, and there were a million turnovers in both games, and they were both fun. They were both close, down to the wire. And I think those games are kind of, as as maybe, I don't want to say they were bad games, but with the quality of play being what it was, the things we love about college football, the silliness, the quirkiness, the explosive plays, the unpredictability, it was all there. It's all what you want. I mean, Florida has two pass interference penalties on the last drive. Could have easily had a third that almost won Miami the game, basically. Um, Florida turned it over a bunch of times. Felipe Franks is throwing on first down for whatever reason with, like, four minutes left in the game. So it was a fun game. To be honest with you, and we were talking about this before the show, I think the takeaway for me in this game is that, one, Miami's better, and two, I don't know if Felipe Franks is good enough to carry this team 
to serious contention for a playoff berth, which is, I think, what they're looking for this year. And this Florida team's got some issues to iron out, and they're lucky, quite frankly, that they won this game because they probably made a few too many mistakes. They just got away with them because they were playing Miami and not necessarily, say, an Alabama-type team. Yeah, I agree with you 100%. And Florida is a team that is historically, at least in the last couple of years, it's changed a little bit since Dan Mullen has gotten there, but a historically very good defensive team that is looking at an offense to try and get them over the hump, to try and do enough to win them football games. And you look at the stat line for Felipe Frank, 17 for 27, 254, two touchdowns, two interceptions. That does not scream elite numbers. And you're in the SEC, it's only going to get tougher from here. Miami's a good team, but you're going to play some serious competition in the SEC going forward. And if you have any hopes at getting to the playoff or, or being successful in the playoff, you're going to need Felipe Franks to play a lot better. Now, again, hasn't played football in six months. He's a little bit rusty, but a 38.6 QBR has to concern you. And I, I agree with you in, in the sentiment that I really question whether or not Felipe Franks is good enough, even with the defense that Florida has shown it's able to play in past years, and I think they're capable of doing it again this year. I just don't know that Felipe Franks can do enough or is capable of doing enough to get them over the hump and get them into the playoff. And I think the question with Felipe Franks when he came to Florida, whatever it was, three, four years ago, it was never about talent. Never has it ever been about talent. He's got good speed. He's got a cannon of an arm. Doesn't always know where it's going, but that's that's another issue. You always kind of figured, like, okay, this guy is so talented, he's going to figure it out. And it just has not happened. And I think that has to alarm you if you're Florida. Yes, he's rusty, and I get that, and maybe some of the timing was a little bit off. But something like basic decision-making, which has been something he's struggled with. I mean, the two fumbles, like, come on. like I mean, those are things. One of them was his fault, but... You know, there was just so many sloppy plays for, for him and them in that game, but a lot of them were Felipe Franks. And I think you just can't have that because you look, you look at Florida's schedule, okay? They've got UT Martin next week. That's a win. They go into the conference slate right away. They're at Kentucky. That is not an easy game. Uh, Kentucky, granted, losing some of their talent from last year, obviously, with Josh Allen and Betty Snell. But then you got Tennessee, then you got Towson, then you've got teams like Auburn, LSU, South Carolina, and Georgia. That is the month of October into the first week of November. I mean, they got to shape up by then because if, if they don't figure it out by that stretch of schedule, I could see them losing all four of those games. I really could. That's a gauntlet, and I think you're right to point out that Felipe has not shown the propensity to improve, and it's particularly concerning because he's working now with Dan Mullen. This is year two, and Dan Mullen has a pretty good track record with quarterbacks working with Dak Prescott and then Tim Tebow back when he was in Florida the first go-round. So, this is a guy who, who knows quarterbacks and can fix quarterbacks and has worked well with quarterbacks. So Felipe Franks in now year two, after having the talent that you know he has and, and not being able to put it together, I think it's a little bit concerning now that you're still seeing these continued mistakes, poor decision-making with the football, four turnovers. It's just not something that you're, you're happy about. It, it kind of spells disaster really, and you're really concerned about it. So we'll see if he can kind of right the ship a little bit. But, um, again, it's early. It's it's week one, but you really want to see Felipe improve or else they're not going anywhere. He's going to have to improve, and I just don't know 
if he's capable of doing that. Well, I mean, I'll throw another name at you for the Dan Mullen quarterback carousel, Nick Fitzgerald. Sure. This is a guy who came in not highly regarded, and he was good for 30 touchdowns a year each of the last three years. So, right. Yeah, it's going to be um, – it's really going to be interesting to see what where Florida goes from here. Um, happy to see that Miami's better. I think Manny Diaz is going to do a really good job over there. Um, not that Mark Richt was the wrong guy. I just think Manny Diaz brings a different energy to that program. He he almost seems like he was dropped out of the sky to be the head coach of Miami. You almost get that feeling, right? Yeah, I, I do. I think he gets it, and I think yeah. he's the perfect fit for that program, a defense with the swagger and the confidence, the turnover chain and everything else. That was a guy who, who led a unit that really was Miami. That's classic Miami. That's Ray Lewis. That's Ed Reed. That's the identity that Miami wants to get back to. So I, I think Miami is in very good hands with Manny Diaz at the helm. We'll see how it goes. They're going to have to figure out this quarterback situation because Jaron Williams was not impressive either. And you've got Tate Martell waiting in the wings. I saw him warming up, potentially playing receiver. I don't know how they view him or what the plan is for him, but 19-30, 214, and a touchdown, no interceptions. Again, my favorite stat, QBR, 17.1 for Williams. I, I don't know how much longer that type of play continues. Again, week one, again, everyone's rusty. But how long does it take for this locker room to start saying, okay, we've got this really highly regarded recruit and guy who just transferred in and Tate Martell, and we need to get this guy on the field because Williams is a young kid and he's he's just not ready. Uh, I'm sorry to bring this up about Tate Martell. I'm kind of just perpetually humored at everywhere he goes. He's sort of just gone through this stuff and like he tweeted that thing I think it was two years ago about well if you swing you better not miss or something like that another swing and a miss for him but I mean this is a guy who transferred from Ohio State very highly regarded I mean has been highly regarded wherever he's gone mm -hmm. so like you say you want to think about hey okay if Williams doesn't start playing well and again this is the time of the year to figure it out right Clemson last year first couple of games so they said all right we're gonna go to Bryant and Lawrence but more to Bryant then in the Texas A&M game, they discovered, oh, we 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 got to go to Lawrence. And then, you know, the whole thing happens with Brian. He winds up leaving the team, and, and that's basically that. And then Trevor Lawrence leads them to a national title, and he's already the number one pick in the draft, which is not happening for two years. But Clemson discovered that in the first couple of games or three games because they had that out-of-conference schedule. Miami's going to use that time to do this. I honestly thought Jaron Williams was okay. I really did. I mean, granted, low QBR, but that's a really good Florida defense. And to throw that out there in your first game— and, that, and that's a standalone game, too. The whole country's watching you. I, I honestly didn't think he did that bad. I mean, granted, was he great? No. Or is the bar maybe a little lower for Miami quarterbacks right now? Probably after the last couple of years of Malik Rozier. But honestly, I thought he was okay. I thought he was serviceable. And I think against some worse defenses, I think he could really thrive. But again, some of the numbers didn't necessarily bear that out. And also some of the decisions he made were, were very poor as well. So he wasn't always that accurate as well. So... Be interesting to see. Uh, be interesting to see where they go from there. Uh, they've got North Carolina on the road next week. That's an ACC game already on September seventh. Uh, both these teams are off next week, by the way, on August thirty first because of the week one uh, game. They don't have to play. They don't have to play in week one. I, I always screw up week zero and week one. This is such a bad habit for me. Like, because I'm I'm sitting here saying, okay, this is week one. No, it's week zero. It's week one. And ESPN listed a week one. Whatever. It's the first week of the season. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, whatever, whatever it is. You're, you're, we know what you're talking about. Yes. We got you. Yes, and I think I know what I'm talking about, too. So with that being said, 
Uh, we'll also address the other game just real quick. Arizona lost to Hawaii. Um, they're going to have a very long year. Uh, they lost 45-38 to Hawaii. They came up one yard short, eerily reminiscent of the Titans-Rams Super Bowl. Hmm. Uh, Hawaii had a million turnovers in that game and still won, kind of like Florida. But uh, Arizona's going to have a long year. I feel bad for Khalil Tate. He's really talented. But what can you do? I think that's about all we need to say about that game. Uh, let's move on to this year because I'm really excited to see where this year goes, to see who rises to the top here in the playoff, who wins the Heisman, who wins all the other awards, what we're going to be talking about two or three months from now. So I'll kind of give you the uh, the floor first. What are a couple of maybe the top headlines that, that you're looking for out of this 2019 season, one in which Clemson, again, is the defending champion? Well, I think that I'll leave Clemson alone for a second because I expect Trevor Lawrence to be as good as he was to finish out last year. And if he's that, then I think Clemson is still the team to beat, and I don't see them losing. However, I think that the thing I'm most interested in seeing is Tua Tagovailoa and how he comes back after a lackluster playoff being injured to see if he's got a little something to prove. Because Tua was riding high, had a had a really good end to his freshman season, coming back second half, winning his team the national championship, was the odds-on favorite to win the Heisman for most of his sophomore campaign. Kyler Murray comes in, has a historic season at Oklahoma. After Tua, his production falls off a little bit, probably due to an injury, gets hurt in the SEC championship game, and Jalen Hurts comes in and, and flips the script on him a little bit, wins, his, wins Alabama the SEC championship game, and then the national title, came, title game comes, and Tua was really not up to the task. Clemson thrashes Alabama on that night in January. So I'm interested to see what the bounce back is like for Tua because this is the last year. He's on his way to the draft after this year. Uh, talk about potentially the Miami Dolphins tanking for Tua. That's a conversation. But I'm interested to see how this last year goes because sometimes you've seen it with, with certain players where they'll sort of check out and not take the season as seriously. I don't see that Tua is that type of player. I don't expect that from him. But I am curious to see how he bounces back and what the production will be from him if he is able to lead that Crimson Tide offense with some pretty good weapons. Jerry Judy, good player. So we'll see how that goes. But I think that's the guy I'm most interested in because similar to almost the way Le – I don't want to even bring this up, but LeBron James I think is, is being really doubted after an injury. I think a lot of people are down on Tua Tagovailoa, and I'm interested to see – how he comes back fully healthy in 2019. It's interesting about Tua, too, because this is a guy who, like you said, comes into the national title game, wins it for them, and everybody coming into last year is saying they're not going to lose a game because the one thing they were missing was at the quarterback position, and now it's there. And I think Tua's play for the first two months of last year really masked a lot of the deficiencies Alabama had that started to come out towards the end of the year in the Georgia game and really obviously in the Clemson game and you know the defense was not a typical not Alabama, that, defense. That Alabama defense it, it was not the typical they're going to give up nine points a game it was not that dominant and kind of see it the whole year but then when you go up against an offense like Clemson or an offense like Georgia or even Oklahoma Oklahoma gave them a good run in in the Orange Bowl they just only did it for three quarters and um, had no defense yeah, and themselves. they had no defense either and they you know when you're down 28 nothing these things are going to happen but when you go up against those better teams, those things are going to happen. So I'll be interested to see how Alabama excuse me, builds around Tua because they have one of the best receiving cores maybe ever, led by Jerry Judy, like you said. 
But I think I think another storyline is besides Clemson, Alabama, because we could talk about those two until we're blue in the face. I want to see who else fills in the playoff. Is it a team like Georgia? Who's going to come out of the Big Ten? Is it a team like Ohio State or a team like Michigan? And Ohio State's got a first year coach too, and Ryan Day. So that's going to be an issue. And a brand new coaching transition. staff too. Yeah. It's it's Day, and he'll still call the plays. But a new defensive coordinator, Shiano, is out. So I'm interested to see how that transition goes as well. The same thing for Georgia, right? Mel Tucker goes and takes the job at Colorado and a new offensive coordinator for Georgia as well. So a lot of staff changes on some of these fringe playoff teams. I'm interested to see how those two teams adjust. Can we see a bigger year out of Jake Fromm, right? Jake Fromm is a guy who really grew up a lot in that SEC championship game and showed us a lot in in the SEC championship game against Alabama. Again, as we were just talking about, it wasn't exactly that fully operational Death Star Alabama defense that we are accustomed to but that's still a good defense and Jake Fromm lit them up so I'm interested to see if Jake Fromm can really take the next step is he going to be in Heisman contention right can he really put Georgia on his back because I think that that's what it's going to take for Georgia as well they're going to need him to be really 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 good because I think the defense is going to take a step back Mel Tucker is a big loss for them certainly is and and another thing I want to talk about too is some of the transfer QBs who are going to play right away Justin Fields at Ohio State, Jacob Eason at Washington. We talked about Tate Martell not playing at Miami. Those guys are going to interest me as well because we saw a team like Michigan last year. Shea Patterson, new quarterback, took him a while to get used to the system. They lose to Notre Dame. Granted, not a bad loss. Notre Dame went to the playoff. But then they get throttled by Ohio State, and now Justin Fields comes in. He's the new guy. Granted, same play caller, and Ohio State will still be really good because Justin Fields is a really talented quarterback, but... Be interesting to see how that dynamic goes, and people don't, I don't think, give Dwayne Haskins the credit he deserves. Dwayne Haskins was a really good quarterback for two years. I mean, he was terrific. Well, really, not for two years, for one year, because J.T. Barrett was there. But Dwayne Haskins had a historic season last year, third in the Heisman. I mean, he was terrific, and he kind of got left out of that because of Kyler and Tua and Trevor Lawrence. But he was right up there with those guys statistically, threw a ton of touchdowns. He was terrific. That's not going to be an easy replacement either. And I think in Michigan, too, while we stay on the Big Ten, pressure on Harbaugh building up, too, because this is is a massive year for Jim Harbaugh. I mean, you look at their schedule, and I'll check again to make sure, but I believe that they have both Michigan State and Ohio State at home. They should because it's an odd-numbered year. So they should have both those teams at home. So this is the year, I think, for them that if they're going to make noise, if they're going to go to the playoff, if they're going to win the Big Ten, I think this is the year to do it. Because this is, you've got, you know, an easy schedule, and you've still got a really talented roster. I mean, yes, you lost some guys to the NFL last year who were really good. Don't get me wrong, but Shea Patterson's back for year two. He's going to be a lot more used to the system. He's the best quarterback probably that Harbaugh has had at Michigan. And I think this is the year to do it, and this is the time to pull it off. And I I don't think the opportunity is going to get any bigger than it is this year than it is right now for Michigan. And in some ways, I think it's a little make or break. It'll be interesting to see for sure. And I think that what the the trend that you're seeing in college football is a parody of what we've seen in the NFL. It's a, it's a quarterback-driven league. And Shea Patterson, again, it's a common theme. We're talking about Jake Fromm and Trevor Lawrence and Tua. But Shea Patterson needs to be good if Michigan's going to be good. And they really need him to step up because he wasn't good last year, and they really struggled. And and I personally have some questions about sort of the offense that Jim Harbaugh is running here, and, and I know it worked in the NFL and it worked in the 2012 NFL, but a lot of offenses are changing, 
offenses are spreading out. They're throwing the ball more. They're moving the ball with more pace. And Harbaugh is running a very traditional, slow-paced offense, and it's it's different, and it's, it hasn't been effective. So maybe that's what's best for uh, for Shea Patterson, and maybe that's what Harbaugh feels he can best execute. But I would be interested to see if they would be willing to spread it out a little bit more, use some more of the modern college football you know, concepts. And I'm not going to sit here and say that I know football better than Jim Harbaugh or that he doesn't know what he's doing because he's a proven NFL coach, a guy who's taken a team to a Super Bowl. But I just wonder if the offense that they're trying to run or what they're trying to do doesn't fit well in college football or doesn't fit the quarterback that he's trying to work with because it sure as heck didn't work last year. And Shea Patterson was a dude who was supposed to come in and be really good, and it didn't happen. So we'll see if he can turn it around. We'll see if the familiarity with the system will help him out. But I I would be curious to see what that offense looks like this year because I would be shocked if it looks exactly the same as it did last year. I mean, we've seen this around sports where, like, so the NBA, they play faster. There's one or two teams, like the Utah Jazz, who want to play slower, who want to have every game 94-90. There are teams in the NFL who want to run the ball down your throat, like, say, the Baltimore Ravens last year. There's always one or two teams that do that. Michigan last year, they were doing exactly that. Shea Patterson averaged exactly 200 yards a game passing. You know, wasn't spectacular. I mean, he didn't throw a ton of picks, so you give him that. But you look at some of these big games that, that Michigan had last year, okay? Home for Wisconsin, this was a win. 14 to 20, 124. At Michigan State, also a win. 14 for 25 for 212. Home for Penn State, big win, but 11 for 17 for 144 and two scores. Last three games of the season, which is kind of where the bread gets buttered for these teams, especially when you're in playoff contention. Second to last game of the regular season against Indiana, 16 for 28, 250, a touchdown, a pick. Then the game against Ohio State where they lose 62-39, 20 for 34, 187, three TDs, one pick. And then the bowl game against Florida where they got absolutely throttled, 22 for 36 for 236, I believe that says. might be 230. But anyway, somewhere in the 230s, one TD, two picks. That's not going to do it. I mean, this guy has to be better. And Michigan has said, look, we might play, we might play two QBs. I mean, you, would, you wouldn't be surprised to see that because – Shea Patterson wasn't spectacular last year. And this is a guy, this is actually a true story. I saw him play a game in high school, live. Uh, he, he came up to New Jersey, and IMG Academy came up, and, and he was really good. Mm-hmm. And I'm saying, wow, this guy's going to rip it up. And then the next year he started a game for Ole Miss, and then the transfer, and, and then he went to Michigan. But I, I just don't know that uh, I, I want to see more out of him. I think he can do it. I think he's talented enough. But does it become another Felipe Franks question where you say, okay, this guy's got the talent. But he hasn't shown it to us, and Michigan's not going to go unless he goes. And and like you said too, you know, when you're running I formation and they're running it more than they throw it, you know, does that work in modern college football? Because they're not a team. We saw this against Ohio State last year. They get down in the game. They're they're not coming back if they get down too much. So they're not a team that can come back from fourteen nothing, twenty one nothing, twenty eight seven, something like that. They need to be either ahead or near the lead in pretty much all of their games, and that makes it kind of tough on them. I would just throw this out. They're a little food for thought, and this is last year, but here, here are your total offense leaders, right? Number one, Oklahoma, playoff. Number two, Clemson, playoff national champion. Number three, Alabama, playoff. Number four, Ohio State, fringe playoff, right? So you go down a little bit more, and Notre Dame was a little bit of a throwback because they played good defense. They were ranked 35th, but, man, oh, man, were they not competitive in the playoff. There was question, in my opinion, whether – 
they deserve to be there. I know they were undefeated and played a decent schedule, but I'm I'm just saying whatever. Thirty five, Michigan fifty one. Mm. So yeah. again, the the point that we're making, uh, Georgia eight. These are the teams that that played really well, but it's about the offense. The teams that are putting up the numbers offensively are the teams that are most successful, and it's it's about the quarterbacks, right? If you want your offense to be good, you need solid quarterback play, and we'll see. But Michigan's going to need that from Shea Patterson, and you question the offensive output because, right, the teams that were successful last year and have been sec- successful in, in recent college football history have been teams with really strong offensive offenses, and it's a little bit of a, of a change-up. Right, it's not the cliche of defense wins championships, and sometimes you're just going to need your defense to do enough. But it's the young quarterbacks, it's the young players, it's the good offenses that have shown to really lead to success for these teams. Yeah, and I mean, you look on the NCAA site and you see 51. That's on page two. That's not yeah, on page one. That's not on the first page. No, I, mean, I, I was, was scrolling <laughs> for a little while. Yeah, but yeah, I mean, you you were saying, I mean, it's it's true though. You know, you you think about the best teams in college football, and it's also the teams with great quarterbacks. Kyler Murray, Trevor Lawrence, Tua Tagovailoa, Jake Fromm. Those are some of the best quarterbacks Dwayne in the Haskins. Sport. Dwayne Haskins was a great quarterback last mm-hmm. year. Michigan has not had that, and they're trying to win. You know, they've tried to win over the last couple of years with guys like Jake Rudock. That's not going to get it done. And, and Wilton Spate, who was at UCLA last year. It, it, those types of guys are not going to get it done. And granted, they almost went to the playoff in 2016. They had that spectacular game against Ohio State. They got ahead early, and they didn't have the offense to put them away. And you don't think about it that way, but you know they also have kept teams in games because they just don't score enough. You know they get they run into the occasional blowout where they can beat a team 42 to seven. But a lot of these games, they're keeping teams in it because the offense just isn't there. So I want to see what Michigan does. But we've got a few minutes left here. I think two things we need to get to before the end of the show is playoff. And Heisman. And we've talked a little bit about playoff, so might as well start there. I think I'm going to go first on this one. Okay. So I've got, you might want to be sitting down for this one. Uh, one and two, I've got Alabama and Clemson. Oh, shocker. Wow. <laughs> Walk uh, off the set. Are you kidding me? <laughs> yeah. You really you really were not expecting that one, huh? Um, my third team, another one you won't expect, is Georgia. I think they're really good. Um, they they could get to the SEC title game undefeated, where you could have twelve and zero versus twelve and zero. I wouldn't be surprised to see that, but I think they get in. They're that talented. They're going to be the third team, and we have talked about them. And I will probably get burned for doing this. I picked Michigan State last year to go to the playoff. That was up in smoke in a week. I'm picking Michigan this year. I wow. think they're going to pull it off. All right. Despite what I have said, despite the concerns, and there are obvious concerns. But I think Fields is going to have a tougher time adjusting at Ohio State. I don't think anyone in the Pac-12 is good enough, aside from maybe Oregon, if Justin Herbert has another monster season. I think uh, I think Michigan does it. Uh, and I think Oklahoma takes a slight step back with Jalen Hurts, but Lincoln Riley will do another good job with him. He's just not Kyler Murray. So I'm going with Michigan as my fourth team in a move that I will probably regret by the middle of September. <laughs> but lock it in stone. That's what I'm saying. I'm riding with it right or wrong. So this will come as a big shock, but it's got to be Clemson and Alabama at the top. Um, there's not, not much to that, and I think that Georgia is number three. I think that Georgia and Jake Fromm in particular are, are some really – that's a good team, and Jake Fromm I think is going to have a big year, so I think they're, they're in at number three. And 
it, it's a toss up at number four. It really is because I think there's there's distance between Clemson, Clemson and Alabama, and then there's everybody else. Agreed. It's similar to the way we were talking about things last year, but I think Georgia is right there, and they showed it because they almost had they had Alabama on the ropes, and and they almost delivered and got themselves into the playoff last season. So so I think those are the top three. I like LSU. I like Michigan, but for me. This is a bit of a sleeper pick. I, I it's this is tough, man. I mean, there there are there are some some good teams, but I, I I think Ohio State. I think Ohio State gets in there because I think Justin Fields can have a big year. I think Ryan Day, a new energy injected into that program, and I think giving him the full free reign of, of calling the offense because. You did hear a little bit about the, the battle between Urban Meyer and the offense that he ran traditionally and wanted to run, and they kind of went with what Ryan Day wanted to do with Dwayne Haskins. And I don't know that Justin Fields is Dwayne Haskins. We certainly can't call him that yet, that type of player. But I think Justin Fields can have a big year. I think they've got the talent, and I think Ohio State sneaks in at number four. I think you got to have a Big Ten team in there. Yeah, I, we have similar playoffs. Um, there was this ESPN playoff predictor that came out, and I inadvertently agreed with it because it had Michigan, and I didn't look at it before I made the picks, and I saw it, and I was like, oh, this thing's going to be wrong. But, yeah, I'm going with Michigan. I'm, you're going with Ohio State. So we're, we're taking the same paths. Um, it's interesting to look at the rest of the top 25. You've got Notre Dame at 9 after going to the playoff. Obviously, Florida at 8. We talked about them. Uh, then you've got Texas at 10. Um, I fear Texas. They they might be this year's Miami, where everybody's trying to make them happen, and then they just fall off and go seven and five. Uh, that's my fear with Texas. Oregon, I think, is a sleeper team, but I don't think the Pac-12 is good enough. They've got a big game with Auburn this week, who is ranked 16th, and then down the list, UCF is 17th, by the way. And we might not need to talk about them too much. Brandon Wimbush, a quarterback for them this year, by the way, just worth noting. So. Yeah, there's there's some stuff going on right now, but uh, LSU is another one. LSU is an interesting team. That, uh, that yeah. is an interesting team. I think uh, Big Ed has done a really good job since he's been there. So we'll we'll see how that goes for them. But they've been a team that's been in the conversation. Had a few big wins. They they play Alabama tough. They they have a big win at Georgia last year. So that's another team that can't be you know dismissed out of hand. But it's it's a toss up. I think at number four, can what what's Jalen Hurts going to be like in Oklahoma? Because Lincoln Riley's a wizard, right? So can Jalen Hurts go over there and resurrect his career and all of a sudden be really good? Is Tanner Mordecai going to be a factor? And can this is this dude going to step in if Jalen Hurts isn't doing the job? And is he going to be the next Kyler Murray or Baker Mayfield as a top recruit? Right. So we'll we'll see exactly how it goes down but right now I feel most comfortable with Ohio State but I think it's a toss-up again Clemson and Alabama at the top I think Georgia is a strong number three but after that Oklahoma Ohio State LSU Michigan Texas Oregon I think those are some teams that that can make a run even Texas A&M I like what Jimbo Fisher's doing there too so a lot of teams that are there in the conversation and we'll see Florida can Florida make a run can Felipe Franks as we talked about to open the show can he go on a run? Can he play a little bit better? Can Dan Mullen finally get through to him? Or does that defense really just go off and carry them the way we saw Notre Dame get to a perfect record last year? So it's an interesting conversation. We'll see how it goes. But that's why they play the games. That's why this stuff is so fun and so exciting because there's no way to know. You're trying to predict how a team's going to progress over the course of 13 games in 15 weeks. So we'll see where we are come January, but but those are, are – 
the conventional picks, I think, in terms of, of who's going to be there at the end, and, and we'll see. We'll see what happens. I was waiting for you to pull a Corso and pick Utah to go to like the national title game. <laughs> I don't know if you saw that. You on know, game I was day. thinking UCF, <laughs> but <are> you... <laughs> I thought I thought last year they could have gone to the playoff, but then everything progressed, and I was like, yeah, no, nope, <laughs> nope, no. I mean, they just don't, they don't play a good enough schedule. I'm sorry. Uh, we got a couple minutes before the show ends. We talked a little bit about it before the show, so I think we, I know what you're going to say. But Heisman, you're going with Trevor Lawrence. It's got to be Trevor Lawrence. I, I think that. Not picking Trevor Lawrence is just crazy to me. I mean, he played so well at at the end of that national championship game and against an Alabama defense, and he's he's got to be the odds-on favorite. He plays, um, you know, just with such great poise for a young player and, and has such a great arm and has the accuracy, has everything you'd want in a quarterback, and that's why he's book it 2021 yeah. to be the number one pick in the NFL draft. You You can book it right now. So I think for another year they're riding the wave, and I think that the the notoriety that he's got, if he can put up another stellar season, I think carries him to a Heisman Trophy. So my pick is Trevor Lawrence. I'm going to disagree with you. I think this is the year of the Tua Revenge Tour. I think Bama's going to win the national title, and I think is going to win the Heisman. I think he's going to have a monster year. He had it locked up for 12 or 13 of the 14 weeks last year and then just couldn't pull it out at the end. I think he winds up ascending to that height, winning the Heisman, and carrying his team to a national title, and then going into the draft. But we'll see what happens this year. We'll see what happens this week. Nick, thanks for being here. It's always Clemson, (laughs) Alabama. We'll figure it out. We'll figure out the rest. For my partner, Nick DeLuca, I'm Jimmy Sullivan. We'll see you next week.